hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done here, right here on earth, right now. As I'm sitting here worshiping you, your will be done. As I'm worrying about my financial future, your will be done right here, right now, here on earth, as it is in heaven. As I'm worried, if I live in fear, will this virus take my life is the question all of us have. But Father, my prayer is your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We glorify you this morning. We surrender to you. Spirit, fill this place. As you sit at home, won't you for a moment become aware of the fact that God is here. He's right here where I am and He's right there where you are and His desire is to meet with you. Father, we love you. We adore you. We choose to worship you in the midst of the storm, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of all of the challenges that come with that. We love you because you are God. And we worship you not because you give us stuff, but because you are the Savior of the world, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. So um, when I was a kid, one of my favorite activities was to spend time with my cousins. Um, we had a bunch of cousins from all over the family, and we would always visit one another's homes, and we would stay there for extended periods of time. But one of my favorite cousins to go visit was the one who lived on a farm. And we didn't go there often. I can only recall a few times that we went to go visit them, but, but I loved going to visit them. And um, because it was so different, uh, I remember just the, the, the way they did life was completely different to what I was used to. And um, the food that they ate was different. Um, they had this giant front yard, and uh, they had these tractor tires lying around. And um, one day we decided that we were going to get inside of these tractor tires, and then we were going to roll each other around the yard because that was fun. And that's apparently <laughs> what we do or what they did on the farm. I remember one time I was, we were sitting, my cousin and I, we were sitting watching TV, and the next moment, this guy starts speaking to his mom. So, so you may or may not know, I'm actually Afrikaans, and my cousin and I were speaking Afrikaans to one another. And this guy starts speaking to his mom, but he started speaking English. And I was shocked. And after, after she left, I was like, dude, why, why do you speak English to your mom? I mean, we're Afrikaans. He, he said, what do you mean? Have you not heard her accent? She's from, she's from England, dude. We're actually English. And one year we spent a Christmas there. And uh, I remember getting a lot of gifts, but one gift I loved above all of them was my dad got me this tiny, tiny radio. This tiny little radio, probably three by two centimeters big, and it had uh, earphones that you put in your ear. And this was out of all the presents I got, my absolute best. I've always liked technology. Something fascinated me about the fact that they could squeeze a giant radio into a small little thing. And that's what I wanted. I asked them for this thing, and they gave it to me. My cousins, um, him and his big brother, they, the whole family was there. The whole family was there. And we slept over. We went there for Christmas Eve. We had dinner together, slept over, woke up Christmas Day, opened all our presents. And these guys got motorbikes. <laughs> so my, the cousin that I was 
proper friends with. He got a three-wheel motorbike and his big brother got a two-wheel scrambler and it was awesome. But he said all of the cousins that were there could, could ride this motorbike of his. And all of them did. Everybody got a chance and, and eventually it goes my turn. And I think this is where my love for, for bikes came from. As I got onto this bike. I was very excited. I said, how does this thing work? He showed me where the brake was and the foot brake. Didn't have a clutch, which was awesome. And then he said, all you do, Jacques, is push this little button and then you go forward. And I did. I pushed that little button as hard as I could. The bike lifted up and I froze. I froze. The bike lifted up and hit the ground and I didn't know what to do because I was completely frozen. So I traveled all the way from there and I drove into their fence, into the garden, into their fence. He was not happy with me. So you might be asking, what does a three-wheel motorbike have to do with being a citizen in a secular world? We're in week two of a brand new series called Citizens, and I'm going to be talking about being a citizen in a secular world. The answer to that question is that this three-wheel motorbike has got nothing to do with the series, absolutely nothing. Waking up that morning on the farm is what's significant. So I woke, I remember waking up, we slept there, I woke up that morning, and I, I looked around as a young, young boy, and I, and I didn't know where I was. I was completely disoriented. Have you ever had that moment? When you wake up one morning after visiting a family member, wake up one morning and you look around and you, you actually forget that you slept over. And I remember thinking to myself, where am I? This is not my home. I'm in a foreign place. I'm in a foreign place is what I thought when I woke up that morning. I want to tell you a story about a young man named Belteshazzar. So this guy was a Babylonian citizen, and he was quite literally, him and three of his friends were quite literally the cream of the crop. I mean, they were fantastic leaders, they were influential, and they were, under the king's orders, handpicked to be trained up for three years and to serve in the Babylonian kingdom. This is an Old Testament story. Belteshazzar, I'm not going to put the name on the screen for you now, you can go find it in your Bible if you want to. It's in Daniel chapter 1. Belteshazzar, it is hot if you're wondering, and uh, I feel like I'm a famous televangelist. <laughs> in fact, I could be a famous televangelist if you like and share, share this link. Please do that right now, take a moment, hit pause and do that. <laughs> Belteshazzar, one of, the, one of the, mo the most influential leaders in this kingdom. So what happened was, if you read the book of Daniel, in the first chapter, in the first verse, you read that the Babylonians, or the Babylonian Empire, under the rulership of King Nebuchadnezzar, attacked Jerusalem, the Israelites. Attacked them, and then they took their people captive. And listen to what verse 4 said. So there were specific instructions. The king told his chief um, officer, listen, I want you to collect or, or, or find a group of people, and I have specific instructions for you. Listen to what he says in verse 4. I want you to find young men without physical defect. They have to be handsome. Show aptitude for every kind of learning. They need to be well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Verse 6. Among those who were chosen were from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
the chief official gave them new names. I told you about a young man whose name was Belteshazzar. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, he gave the name Shadrach. To Mishael, the name Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. You might have heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were the new Babylonian names. The king's strategy, the king's plan was, after he had captured Israel, his plan was to assimilate the, the nation, the whole of Israel. The plan was to assimilate them. He wanted to have them understand the culture and speak the language, be able to read their literature and to understand and know their literature. His desire was to completely erase their old identities. But he was highly strategic about the way he did this. He didn't go collect all of them and change everyone. He chose the most influential leaders from among them. Daniel, for example, had, royal, had a royal heritage. So he chose people who were influential. Then he, the plan was to assimilate them through a three-year course on Babylonianism. And hopefully after three years, they would know our language, be able to read, know our literature, and be completely assimilated. So much so that they changed their names. I don't know if you knew this, but the name Daniel actually means God is my judge. So when they gave him a new name, which was Belteshazzar, his new name meant Bel protect his life. Bel was a Babylonian god. So they changed Daniel's name to represent a new God, Babylonian God. Hananiah's name was Yahweh is gracious. When they changed his name to Shadrach, it meant command of Aku. Aku was a Babylonian God. Azariah meant Yahweh has helped. The name, his new name was Abednego. Abednego means servant of Nebo. Nebo was, you guessed it, a Babylonian God. Mishael, that name means who is what God is? His new name was Meshach. The name Meshach means who is what a coup is. So these guys were so assimilated that they even got new names. The idea was to raise their identities. So what happened with Israel was many of them revolted. They were like, no, no, we're not going to stand for this. We cannot actually do this. You're not going to assimilate us. But many conformed. They completely surrendered to the assimilation process. They took on the new name. They learned the language, learned to read, got the literature, and they took on the new gods. They rejected Yahweh, the true God, and took on these new foreign gods. They were completely assimilated. There was a prophet named Jeremiah. He suggested a third way. So when you look at this, when you look at this it looked like there's only two options. Either you resist completely, or you conform, or you conform to the pattern of that new world. Jeremiah suggested another way. And if you look at this whole, pas if you look at this whole passage, Daniel and his three friends were actually, were actually citizens. They became citizens of their new world. They became, they became cap a small letter C citizens of their new world. What was Jeremiah's third option? What was his third option? So, Many of you may know this passage in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, and it says, um, for you know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to ha harm you, plans to give you hope and the future. And then when we read this passage, 
we think it, it's for us. God put that verse there and it's for me and I'm claiming it and God has a great future planned for me. And you may do that. Maybe that is what God is trying to say to you, especially if he spoke to you through that verse. But that's not what the prophet Jeremiah, that's not who the prophet of Jeremiah was speaking to when he said that. He was actually speaking to the nation of Israel. And I found this quite, quite fascinating because he was addressing them while they were captives and exiles in Babylon. Now, if you read this passage, Jeremiah suggested something completely different to what happened. Either you resist or you completely conform, remember? Jeremiah said, look, guys, um, some folks have been prophesying. I don't want you to listen to the false prophets. Some people have been saying this exile is going to be short, but I'm telling you, it's going to be 70 years before this is over, 70 years. And then he basically was saying, guys, you're going to be here for the rest of your life. If you were born today, 70 years later, the rest of your life, done, committed to exile. So he said, what you need to do is build houses, plant gardens. He said, pray, I love this. He says, pray that Babylon would be blessed. Because if Babylon is blessed, you would be blessed. And then he goes on in verse 11 in chapter 29. Then he says, for you know the plans I have for you. This is God speaking. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So what Jeremiah was suggesting was, in fact, what Daniel did in verse 8. Listen to what Daniel did in verse 8. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to, be, not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now I'm going to get to what Jeremiah's third option was in a second. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think that Daniel refused the food? I mean, he's got the new name. His new name, he's got a, he's got a false god. I'm hot again, yes. He's got a false god in his name at the moment. He's learned the literature. He knows how to read. He knows how to speak the language. But Daniel draws the line at eating the food. Why does he draw the line at eating the food? Why didn't he draw the line at the literature or the language or getting a new name that actually contained the name of a false god? Why did he draw the name, the line at the food? He said, no, I can do all the other things. I am a citizen. I've been, a, I've been assimilated, but I draw the line here. What is the reason? Now, there's lots of stuff, lots of good information about this. Um, the food was probably almost 100% unkosher. So, so Daniel, I, I imagine the king's food and the king's table to be delicious, just by the way. So Daniel then wanted vegetables and water, not the stuff that was on the king's table. I imagine there to be bacon, like roast lamb. I imagine ocean basket prawns with lemon butter sauce with half chips, half rice, and Greek salad. Daniel opted for the salad only. But bacon is unkosher. Shellfish was unkosher. So it could, that could be the reason very well. We're not going to eat this food because it's unkosher. It's unclean. could also have been that, that the food had been offered to false gods. It could also be another reason. But I, but I have a suspicion there was something more to it than just that. I mean, Daniel had already received an unkosher name. He's been assimilated into this unkosher Kingdom and empire. Was there more to resisting the food? Yes, I think there was. See, when we eat food together as a family or as friends today, we, our, our goal is to, to interact socially. We want to have a relationship. We want to chat. We want to have some fun and laughs. And we want to fill our belly. Let's be serious. 
and fill our belly with ocean basket prawns, lemon butter sauce, half chips, half rice, and a Greek salad. But that wasn't the only goal for ancient Hebrews. There was something more significant. When you sat down around the table or wherever they sat and had a meal with someone, what you were saying was, I'm in agreement with you. I agree with the way you think. I worship the gods you worship. We are one. And I agree with everything that that you stand for. So when Daniel resisted the food, what he was saying is, I am not in agreement with you. I am a citizen in this world, but I am not a citizen of this world. I'm not in agreement with you, and I refuse to say that I worship the gods you worship. It had to do with his heart. He was willing to be assimilated. He learned the culture. He learned the language. He learned to speak Babylonian, whatever that language was. But he said, I refuse. I refuse to give you my heart. And it is Valentine's Day. I refuse to give you my heart, Daniel said. And my question to you today is, who have you surrendered your heart to? What food has the king placed before you and you've said yes and surrendered your heart and rejected your relationship with the Savior of the world? Have you done that? This is the option that Jeremiah suggested. You either came up against the system in revolt or you completely allow yourself to be assimilated and receive the false gods. Jeremiah was saying, hey, guys, you're gonna live here, live here, pray that the, pray that the place will be blessed, but never surrender your heart to Babylon, to the condition of Babylon. So Daniel was a citizen in his new world. He was not a citizen of the new world in his heart. He was a citizen with the capital C of heaven, and that should be your and my disposition. Exile is a major spiritual theme in the Bible, exile. So we just read about what they call the Babylonian exile, but it's a major spiritual theme in the Bible. I've actually come to discover that it's the very reason that the gospel exists today. (laughs) It's the very reason that Jesus came to earth was because of this theme of exile. We see it right in the beginning in the first few pages of the book of Genesis. Um, we see God makes mankind and he says, guys, I give you this beautiful paradise. It's yours. You get to live here free of charge, no rent, and you get to enjoy all the benefits of paradise. One condition. One condition. Take a moment to pause. Have you think about that one condition. Do not break the one rule that I have. That's it. If you break that one rule, you're out. Adam and Eve chose to break that one rule and they had to leave their home. They found themselves in a foreign land, waking up one morning after Christmas Eve, looking around saying, this is not my home. This is not where I'm supposed to be. Right in the beginning, we see this theme of exile. Adam and Eve then moved into space of exile. And this story sets us up for Israel's story. I mean, when you read through the pages of the Old Testament, I feel like just saying, like going back and say, guys, just, just listen to God. You, it feels like you guys are just in exile over and over. It's so frustrating. I mean, I can imagine the, the, Israel, the Israelites being frustrated. Babylonian exile. They were removed from their homes and they were placed in this foreign land, this secular land, and they needed to learn how to be citizens in their new secular 
world. In Jesus' time, Jesus came into this world from heaven. He leaves his heavenly kingdom where he was a citizen, capital C. He comes to earth and he teaches his people how to live here on earth as heavenly citizens in the secular world. He taught them stuff like, guys, you still need to pay taxes. Give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar because you're in this world. Peter actually writes in in chapter two, um, the first letter that he wrote, he says, guys, while you're in this world, submit to the authorities that God has placed over you. You need to submit to them so that no one can find fault in you. Speaking about understanding and surrendering to the system, but Jesus says, even he himself doesn't have a place to lie his head. He says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but man, the son of man has no place to put his head. He says, look, I'm in this world here on earth physically, but my home isn't here. Peter actually took this and wrote about, wrote about it in 1 Peter 2 verse 11. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. I love this. Peter is saying, church, Christians, you guys are foreigners and you are currently in exile. So do not eat the food the king offers you. Never surrender your heart. In chapter five, he he speaks about Babylon. So in the New Testament, the nation or or the city of Babylon or the empire of Babylon didn't exist anymore. But he references Babylon because Babylon has become the human condition. It has become a symbol of any human institution that demands allegiance to its idolatrous definition of good and evil. So he says, while you're in Babylon, you're exiles. But remember, you are citizens of heaven. You need to live like citizens of heaven. I remember one not too long ago, I was challenged. I'm, I'm confessing to you guys. I was challenged. So the power went off at my, at my house and I thought it was load shedding. Um, thought ESCOM had turned off all of our power, but it wasn't because my neighbor still had electricity. So I phoned in an electrician. He shows up and he fixes whatever was wrong. And he says, oh, this is still an old system, an old metering system. Um, he says, you know, you can jippo this system. I say, what do you mean jippo this system? He says, very easy. There's four wires going in there. Two of them, if you remove them, this little spinny thing here that counts how much electricity you use stops. So you don't have to pay so much on water and lights. And I remember considering it for a moment. I thought, I could jippo the system. That little spinny thing stops spinning. I don't pay so much water and lights. Brilliant idea. Thanks, Mr. Electrician. I could also die for do this. Hey, yes. But thanks for letting me know. He was suggesting to me a system. He came to me with a Babylonian culture, and I had to make a choice. Am I going to surrender my heart to Babylon? Am I going to eat the food the king has to offer or will I choose, will I choose to be a capital C citizen here on earth? Even though, even though we're at the farm for Christmas, not at our homes, even though, just like Daniel, we are in exile, even though we're there, remember, we've got to remember, I'm going to ask the band to come up so long. 
we have to remember that we are citizens in this world, no doubt, just like Daniel was. But in our hearts, we are citizens of heaven. You are a citizen of heaven, even though you're in this world. And I want to ask you this question. This question is not about judgment. This is not about God wanting to send you to hell. It's about to do with the condition of your soul. I want you to, I want you to think about this. What food has the king of Babylon offered you? And you said yes to it. Now, as your mind rushes through a bunch of things and, and your conscious, conscience convicts you, I want you to think even beyond those big things that just popped into your mind. It's easy to come across those big things, like stealing from the government by jippoing my system. It's a big thing. But what are some other areas that's more subtle? Maybe it's spending too much time at work and neglecting your family. You're saying yes to the food the king has placed before you. If your family is neglected, you need to choose to surrender your hearts to them again today on Valentine's Day. Give them your heart again. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe God is saying, look, I need you to come back to me. I need you to consider my system. I need you to give your heart back to me in this area. Stop coming with all the clever reasonings as to why I need to make more money or stop giving or be less generous. Why don't you just obey me and surrender your heart to me? Maybe it's in the way you love your enemies. Jesus suggested we love our enemies and bless them. Or maybe it's as subtle as spending time with Jesus daily. Maybe the first thing you do when you wake up is not to acknowledge the creator of the world, the savior of the world. Daniel always thought that God was gonna send some sort of savior to get them out of exile. And we see Jesus entering into this world as that very savior. And when you surrender your life to Jesus, give your heart to him, he gives you this new citizenship and his desire is to help you thrive and live an abundant life in this citizenship, in, in, in this kingdom. So I wanna pray for you right now. You know the food that the king has placed before you. You know where you've said yes, where you should have said no. Please remember this. Jesus' blood cleanses you. He washes you white as snow, Scripture says. He removes your sin as far as the east is from the west and He never thinks about your transgressions again. I want you to know that. When you're a child of God, God loves you. You are a citizen of heaven. But the condition of your soul is being wrecked by this unkosher food that the King has placed before you. So God, today we stand before you and we choose to be naked completely vulnerable and truthful to you today. We've been running away from these things for so long. It's become a habit. It's become something that's second nature to me now. But I don't want it that way. Because even though I'm in this world, I'm not of this world. I'm a capital C citizen of heaven. 
So today I choose to surrender my heart back to you in every area. Give those big things to you and the small things, things that, prove, things that are preventing me from stepping up and shining like a bright light in this world. Father, thank you. Thank you that you sent that Savior that takes us out of exile and places us into heaven. We could be citizens of the capital C of your kingdom. God, thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that you remove our transgressions. And thank you that you give us the strength to keep saying no in the secular world to the food the King offers us. In Jesus' name, amen.